Welcome to the Lift, Laugh, Love podcast. I'm Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado. My mission is to educate our audience as they navigate modern dating with text messages, social media, and dating apps as a primary way that people meet and communicate with one another in the modern era. Each week, I'm going to invite an expert guest or real life dater to come join me on the podcast to expand the way that you think about and approach modern dating. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And please hit that subscribe button and share this episode with one person that you feel would get a lot of value out of the conversation. Without further delay, let's get into today's topic that will help you understand yourself and others as you navigate modern dating. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm honored to be joined by my special guest from Los Angeles, California, Dr. Kate Balistreri. Did I say that right? You did. You did. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. It's It's been a long time coming. We met on TikTok originally and then connected through Instagram and um, we're both very busy. We are busy, busy humans. Yeah. What's life like in Los Angeles for you? I mean, today it's pretty beautiful outside. So um, my days consist of wondering how I can get out in the sun and enjoy a few minutes of vitamin D in between sessions. Um, but life is good. It's it's robust. I have a team of 10 across the country and we work with clients every day along that intersection of mental health, relationships, and sexuality. So I stay pretty busy. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and you have one of your um, teammates working in Colorado too. Yeah, I, I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elena Bahar is licensed there and she's such an incredible clinician. So I'm, I'm excited for people in Colorado who want to work with a couples therapist. She's chef's kiss. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. It's uh, one way to further our reach and our impact by having a team that works with us that believes in what we do and uh, to impact more lives. Mm-hmm. I can respect that a lot. Yeah. Well, I was curious about what it is that you do specifically and tell me a little bit more about your area of expertise as a certified sex therapist, packed, trained therapist as well. Dr. Stan Tatkin is one of my favorite uh, authors to read. He's amazing. Um, yeah. Well, well, thank you for, for that. Um, for that segue. So I'm, I'm a licensed psychologist, a clinical and forensic psychologist, and I am also the founder of Modern Intimacy, which is a group psychotherapy practice. And we have a presence in six states. Uh, we have clinici- clinicians licensed in California, Colorado, as you mentioned, Connecticut, Illinois, Florida, and New York, and we're growing. Um, and we really specialize in working with people around, as I said earlier, that intersection of mental health as it impacts and influences our relationships, our sexuality, and the feedback loop that those different experiences and domains of life have on our mental health. Um, So my team and I work with folks on healing from different kinds of trauma, um, understanding themselves more deeply and more contextually, learning how to communicate more effectively, and really showing up for embodied eroticism and having the sex life that they are keen to have. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. What does embodied eroticism mean and look like (laughs) in a relationship? Tell me more about that. (laughs) So uh, different people might define that in different ways. How I think about it is being really present with mind and body as you are cultivating eroticism and sharing that 
within your own sexual, your solo self practice or with your partner, um, if you're partnered and or choosing to be partnered in that moment, um, but really kind of staying present in your body and conscious and really aware of everything that sex can bring in the moment and then the ways in which it can enrich your life, even when you're not being sexual. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that explanation. I can understand how somebody listening to this would kind of get a little bit tense or tight <laughs> when hearing those words, because that's that's very really vulnerable for people. And yeah. I noticed in, in our conversation before we hit record that we both share the understanding that fear shows up in relationships and, mm. and how, how do people feel that this is confronting or how do they, how do they have fear show up around intimacy and eroticism? I mean, that is such a great question. I think it, it's born out of many different um, layered contexts. So we're, we're often told that sex is one of the most important things that we will do with a partner. And there's a lot of emphasis put on the role that sex plays in our life and the different, I think, ideological belief systems that people are born into sort of become this, mm, this source of truth, even though it's a constructed truth. So what I mean by that is because we're often told that sex is this like sacred, wonderful thing that you do with a partner who you love, it carries a lot of importance. And it also can feel very vulnerable just because we're human beings um, naked and we have all of the vulnerabilities that come with that. Um, but the vulnerability of really kind of sharing your, your, deepest connectivity points, if you're having really connected sex, um, can be scary for a lot of folks who struggle with being vulnerable and intimate in those ways emotionally. Sex is a great landscape for play, but it's also a great landscape for connection. And so when those kinds of things can create vulnerability, which they do if you're going to get enjoyment from them, um, it can be really scary for folks. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And one thing that you said in there that I'm curious about is summarize that last statement of round fear and vulnerability. Did, did I hear you correctly? Yeah, vulnerability is a huge catalyst for fear. Because if you think about it this way, our minds are pretty much geared toward recognizing threat and optimizing our lives to avoid threat. And vulnerability is something that can feel scary. If I open myself up to you and you don't like me, I might get rejected and that feels really scary or I might be judged. And we're organized to identify and avoid these kinds of threats. I'll call them threats. Um, so in relationships, little things can trigger a big threat response because it represents all kinds of um, fears about feeling ashamed or feeling exposed or being judged that ultimately can run the risk of rupturing our connections with people. We're mm -hmm. relational beings. So we want to be connected in some way. And when something threatens that, it can feel so big. Yeah, I can relate to that. And another thing that I can relate to the clients that I work with or the people that reach out on TikTok and through the podcast with questions and concerns, and they say, well, 
it's so hard for me to date these days as I'm just better off alone. And I hear the exact opposite in your share that we're, we're connecting beings and that's true to my core. And, and part of the mission around here is to educate people on, on what that looks like and feels like. And, and although it can be hard to face those vulnerabilities with other people, there's a lot of bravery and courage that comes along with it too. Absolutely. I know there's not a question in there, but what comes up for you as I say that? <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm in a therapy session. I like that language. Um, <laughs> what comes up for me when I hear you say that is that, you know, we are relational beings, right? But that we can get security in our relationships in lots of different ways. And your one of your favorites, Stan Tatkin, often says that we just need one consistent person in our lives to serve as a historian, um, someone that we can reflect to, somebody who has seen and witnessed us throughout our lives as a constant. And typically in our adult lives, we find that in a partner or a very best friend or something like that. So, you know, when we look at relationships, it's important that we create space for there to be some important ones in our lives, even if we decide that a romantic or a sexual relationship isn't where we wanna be right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I think that understanding the different types of intimacy between physical and sexual and emotional and, and so forth, that that one person can't be everything to us. They can't mm -hmm. play every role in our lives. But I like the mm -hmm. way that you frame the that historian that you check in with. Yeah. And let's mm -hmm. touch on the length of that relationship, because I, I think that the the constructed truth that you were referring to earlier really resonates with me of like, you have to find the one or mm. marriage is forever, but not every relationship is meant to be forever. Even if it's a friendship intimacy or right. does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. I think we're, we are all sold that story. And for some people, it can be a reality that you find one partner and that's your partner for all of your life. But that doesn't mean that it's easy, first of all. And that doesn't mean that it's a guaranteed source of security or emotional connection. So we have to think more critically about the kinds of connections and intimacy we are inviting in and the kinds of relationships that we are creating, sustaining, or tolerating, and whether or not that works for us in the long run. But I'm a huge proponent of putting in the effort, putting in the work, and also being willing to end a relationship where it seems like you're not able to find alignment anymore. And that can be very healthy, especially when it's done with grace. Wow, very, very well said. Uh, <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time in the last uh, nine months or so processing grief from a relationship mm -hmm. ending and, and that really hits home. So thank you for, for sharing that um, and giving me the gift of a little bit of vulnerability as we talk, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, one thing that you said in there is really important for me as I, as I move forward and as I look for a new relationship in my life is what will I tolerate in my relationships? Mm -hmm. And for me, that brings up a lot of talk around boundaries, uh, check-ins with myself around what mm -hmm. are my boundaries? Let's expand on that. What, what are we tolerating in relationships? Let's expand on that idea. I have such a love-hate relationship with the word tolerate because I feel like it creates this um, 
implicit position of superiority, right? Tolerating this. Mm. And, and that can feel really dicey, especially because many of us will go to a position of superiority when we feel things aren't going well in relationships. But that said, it is important to think about what can you tolerate in a relationship without putting yourself one up, of course. Um, so when I think about that, you know, it's, it's important to remember that we are dynamic beings. And what that means is that our needs today may look different tomorrow, may look different the next day. And when we can be in a more um, constant and intentional evaluation of our needs, then we can be in a more intentional and co-created dialogue with our partners about how we're changing, how our needs might change, and how our partner can show up for us knowing that they aren't going to be able to do it 100% of the time in exactly the way we want them to. And that's sort of, for me, where that question of tolerance comes in, because your partner may be amazing in so many ways, but they might not be able to meet this one need that you have, right? And so I think where what behooves us as, as humans, as big grownups, is to sort of think about all right, well, my partner is a whole flawed person too. And here, you know, I've got all my flaws too. Do our prioritized needs align good enough that we can, you know, t tolerate in air quotes, um, the parts of, our, of us that don't align and the needs that may not get met and find other ways to support each other in getting those needs met elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said. And that resonates a lot. And let's talk about that one need. Let's say that that one need keeps showing up as a common theme in the relationship. A two-part question, how do we approach that? How do we bring up that conversation with our partner? And then if it's a non-sexual need, let's touch on how we get that need met a little bit. And then if it's a sexual need, let's expand on that based on our, our topic of conversation today. Yeah, I think a lot of the needs that we have ultimately boil down to two or three different fundamental needs around safety and security and worth, right? We want to feel valuable, respected, worthy, good enough in our relationships. We don't want to feel like, um, like we're unloved, right? And, and I think sometimes when our needs go unmet, we do start to feel like, oh, my partner must not love me enough to do this thing for me or my partner must not respect me enough to put the dishes in the dishwasher this way, <laughs> right? We make a lot of things, um, we, make a, we make much ado about little things in our relationships because they represent really big underlying themes. And that extends to the bedroom too. Uh, so I would invite people to think about what's really going on underneath this need that, that I have and what could it be representing to me kind of big picture? Because that's the real issue, right? If you and your partner feel like you respect each other, how they load the dishes doesn't really matter, right? But when we don't have that respect established and we don't feel it, then everything becomes, you know, a battleground for that respect to get played out. Yeah, that resonates. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> And I think that we were, we were talking about those fundamental needs and how do those fundamental needs tie in with a sexual need? Let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. Well, as adults, I think one thing that sort of gets lost on us is the idea of play. And I don't know about you, but I've never been busier in my life in this pandemic. And um, like many people, the 
options and avenues for play reduced significantly in the pandemic. So now more than ever, people are really feeling sort of bereft um, for creativity, for play, for spontaneity, for being goofy and silly. And that's a place where sex gives us some expression. Sex is a form of play as adults. It gives us the ability to tap into different parts of ourselves, you know, almost like grown up make believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And <Yeah. laughs> we get to play with like different sensations and different vibrations in our body. We get all sorts of like just the, the, all sorts of good stuff that we get to explore and be curious about and co-create together. And when we're talking about needs, it's important to remember that sex is a place that we can get some of our needs met. And I don't just mean our sexual pleasure needs, but our needs to play with power, for example, or our need to play with um, being worshipped or our need to play with, you know, different physical sensations and body movements and physical expression. So there's just like so many different needs that we can express through sex. And when people can talk about that with each other, sex becomes fun, but it also can become satiating in terms of some of those other tertiary needs being met. Mm. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying about those other needs being met, like uh, the connectivity that we can feel being vulnerable during sex mm can meet our needs for safety and security and closeness. Yes. yes. Oh, so well said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you very much. And let's, let's get to the big question of the day that I have for you today. Okay. What does it mean to be sexually authentic and integrated? Love this question. So sexually authentic to me is really about being honest about what turns you on? What are your sexual boundaries and limits? Um, being present with the experience of being sexual, um, being communicative about your needs, wants, and limits, and being respectful of other people's needs, wants, and limits without going into judgment or shame. You know, we are diverse beings as humans. So there's a tremendous amount of diversity in terms of what turns people on. And unless it's non-consensual behavior, I want to be specific about that, non-consensual mm -hmm. behavior, then it's healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Sex can be very healthy. There's a, a tremendous amount of diversity in terms of what gets us going. So that to me is what sexual authenticity is. And embodiment, was that the second part of your question? I, I think I said integrated. Integrated, thank you. But we can talk um, about embodied too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, to be integrated, when I use that term as it relates to sex, I mean that sex is um, a permitted part of who we are. So even in non-sexual moments, like right now, for example, you and I are here, we're both present. My hope is that two people having a conversation can hold space for their sexual selves, their spiritual selves, their intellectual selves, their emotional selves as part of their whole. Sex for, some, for so many people is something that they've been taught to compartmentalize and keep over here on the shelf in a box and they only take it out when it's quote unquote appropriate to be sex, sexual. But when we allow that to be a part of who we are, we tend to be more sensual 
not to be confused with sexual, but more sensor, uh, sensory aware, more sensual in our uh, way of being in the world. We tend to be more communicative, more um, empathic, more fluid in our ways of communication, uh, more creative, more alive. There's more vitality. So holding space for sex to be an integrated part of who you are is an important part of living into your holistic um, reality and potential. Mm. I hope everybody has a pen and a paper right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll clip that one out because that's, that's, uh, that's resonating with me a lot. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation with Dr. Kate as much as I did when we recorded it. She brought a lot of insight into our human sexuality through today's conversation, and I cannot thank her enough. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode to highlight May as Mental Health Awareness Month. A big part of the podcast and my professional and personal mission in this world is to share the benefits of fitness and nutrition for mental health. One of the reasons why I invite expert guests like counselors and therapists to join me on the podcast is to get curious about what is possible when we focus on our mental health. In honor of May being Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm inviting each and every person in our community to sit down with me one-on-one -on -one to kind of uncover and work through what's coming up for you in your life fitness, nutrition, or dating life as you navigate the modern world. If that's something that you'd like a little bit more information on, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at DaveGlazer underscore CSCS, and we'll find a time that works for both of us to connect one-on-one -on -one free for an hour so that we can provide you support as you navigate everything that's coming up for you right now. Without any more delay, let's get back to today's episode. When you say that we're taught to compartmentalize sex and yeah. put it over here on the shelf until it's uh, time appropriate, mm -hmm. what comes up for me is a lot of shame that we're taught yeah. around our bodies and how we touch ourselves and then, and then how we bring up the topic of sex, how we mm -hmm. actually engage in it. Let's expand on that idea a little bit more. Yeah, you're so right on. We are shamed away from our sexuality at an early age. And then for people raised as boys and men, they're often shamed away from their sexuality, but encouraged to be sexual in order to prove their manhood. So there's a very complex relationship with sex that many people are taught early and unconsciously that makes sex something that is not really about an experience of pleasure and connection, but it sort of makes sex this workhorse for our other ego needs. And in that regard, we can become very separated from our true authentic sexual experience and authenticity. When we allow it to be integrated into who we are and we stop making sex prove our worth, we can actually have a much more... Um, thriving and erotic sex life and hopefully enjoy it a little bit more too hopefully <laughs> yeah and and to that point uh, you mentioned embodied earlier mm -hmm. I feel as if times in my life when I was disconnected from my emotional being my uh, maybe disintegrated my emotions from myself uh, wherever that came from what we're taught as boys like you were alluding to and then I found embodiment practices and I understood mm -hmm. what it felt like to be embodied. Yeah. I began to enjoy sex a lot more after that. Right. Uh, would you feel comfortable sharing what that shift was like in terms of like what, you don't have to get graphic, of course, unless that's your jam, but um, 
you know, what, what did you notice about feeling embodied? How did you know? Mm. Uh, for me, it comes with a lot of presence in the moment, yeah. um, eliminating distractions. Um, a lot of intentionality comes up for me, mm-hmm. as well as understanding that an emotional connection is very important for me. Mm-hmm. And that helps me stay embodied during the present moment while I'm eliminating all other distractions and, and really just tuning into what I enjoy and what my partner is enjoying at the time. Yeah, yeah, I really resonate with that. I, I think being present in our bodies is something that we're not taught to do very often. We're, we're taught when we're physical, it's sort of like stay connected, stay competitive, stay sharp. We, we focus a lot on mental precision in our athleticism and in our physical fitness regimen. So I think a lot of us, again, sort of are trained to live you know, up here from our eyeballs up and we don't really drop into our bodies a whole lot. But when people do start to regain more connectedness with their body, that experience of every sensation becomes more alive, more vibrant, more layered, more um, electric and charged. And when you're with someone, you can stay more present with their sensations. And that creates um, a, a biological feedback loop that can increase sexual excitement and intensity for many folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention the emotional and the mental connection during the mm-hmm. moment too. I think, I think all of those could be part of the embodied experience of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that you bring up the athlete earlier too, of like living from the eyeballs up, like always <laughs> in our head. Yeah. And the the term flow state like came yes. to my mind. You know, like when an athlete is in the moment, present, it mm-hmm. seems like time slows down, and they're in this flow where there's not a whole lot of control. Um, my jujitsu's professor, professor, the original one, called it um, unconscious competence. Mm. Or you're simply just like living out through repetition. Yes, in mm-hmm. sport, mm-hmm. because you brought up that analogy. But then also um, that athlete, I can imagine in that moment from what they share is like, I just felt in the moment, I felt in the flow. I felt like everything slowed down. And I can relate a lot to an intimate moment or two or a thousand, you know, <laughs> I don't document them and I don't count them, but like, yeah, there, there are moments that, that I hold special yeah. because of that state of mind and state of being present in that moment. Am I kind of yeah. encapsulating what you were saying? Totally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so the gift of embodiment, right. Is being able to, in that moment, really be present with, with what's happening in a way that allows you to um, stay connected to yourself first and foremost. And then if you're with a partner, the, the, the resonance with their bodies, the resonance with resonance with their emotional experience. And I'm not talking about, a longstanding connected marriage type of emotional connection necessarily, although that can be amazing too, but you can have casual sex and still be incredibly emotionally connected in the moment. And that's what erotic embodiment allows for you. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so very much for that clarification. Um, I'll work on that on my side. (laughs) 
I will. That's my homework. Can... <laughs> You're gonna take one for the team. How how nice of you. And I'm I'm happy to share it publicly too once I figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> all jokes aside, um, you were you were talking about um, being worshipped in the moment and like sure. having that be a part of play. Mm-hmm. And let's let's dig into. Uh, maybe what category that falls into or how people may become interested or uncover how that is something that uh, they enjoy and turns them on. Yeah, well, all different kinds of fantasies and um, kink or other kinds of sexual ideas are really, again, they're, they're a playground for spontaneity, creativity, for expression. And I think a lot of people get really scared to hold space for their fantasies because they think it means something about them, right? They think it means something about their worth as a person, as if there was some like hierarchy of what was supposed to be approved um, in sex, which is the story that most of us have been told. But in reality, all of our research suggests that there are, again, myriad ways to have healthy, thriving sex that are far more diverse than of the very sort of narrow, heteronormative, vanilla experience. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not the only flavor. So when people start to experience their fantasies or play with kink in different ways, and, and kink has lots of different iterations, they can really start to um, have a more sex positive relationship with themselves, with their partner and with the world. I mean, P.S., I think world peace is just a few orgasms away if we could just start being a little bit more sex positive and stop being so sex negative and shaming, but that's a sidebar topic. (laughs) Um, But when we're talking about like play and and fantasy, when people start thinking about different forms of of kink and getting into that, um, they unlock different parts of themselves that they can play with, whether or not they ever start doing any of those things in reality or they stay in their mind Mm. that answer your question i think i took a roundabout there no no i think it was incredibly valuable for us to understand one how to talk about it um another how to bring it up and then finally most importantly is how to remove any shame that we're feeling Mm -hmm. about it so how does one go about removing the shame from maybe something that they're interested in exploring and also bringing that up um, in a sex positive way with a partner. Yeah. Well, the the first thing I think to do, which by the way, it's so much easier for us to say and talk about than it is for people to do. So if anyone listening hears this and thinks, well, yeah, sure. Thanks. That's so easy. Just know that (laughs) I know it's not. Um, and there is a path towards this becoming easier, Um, but really challenging the ideas that you've been given and the messages you've received about sex and asking yourself things like, where did this information that I hold as a truth come from? If I question it, if I, you know, take a different um, lens and look at this from a different perspective, might there be some permission there for me? Um, What if it didn't mean anything about my worth? What if it didn't mean anything about my character? What would I be open to at that point? Um, what if it didn't mean that there was any sort of connection to my soul or you know, quality given to my soul if I liked this or liked that? 
I think when we really start getting more curious about how we've learned the things that we've learned about the world and how to be in it, we can become more liberated from some of the arbitrary and constructed um, ideologies that keep us shackled to shame. Mm. Yeah, I can get behind challenging the status quo and the and the narratives that we've been taught <laughs> consciously or unconsciously. I'm yeah. all about challenging those ideas. Yeah, it's hard work, right? And it, and it sometimes can make you unpopular. But it's, I think, really important because um, if we don't question what it is we think we know, then we're just repeating unconscious missives, excuse me, missives. And I, I think most of us don't really fancy being robots to someone else's mantra. Mm. Yeah, very well said. That hits home, definitely. You know, growing up in a, you know, in a Christian household, we are taught. Uh, a lot about um, putting sex on the shelf, mm -hmm. waiting for marriage, mm -hmm. um, one partner for the rest of your life. And as I've grown older and gone through my own relationship experiences, I understand that that's no longer my truth. Mm -hmm. And I have a 19 year old daughter mm. and she's a phenomenal person. Like, I'm not sure how she grew up to be such <laughs> a wonderful individual. And mm -hmm. also, as we create this adult relationship between the two of us, um, I accept what she explores in the, her relationship life mm -hmm. that might be different than what I was taught as a, as a kid growing up or as an mm -hmm. adult um, mm -hmm. experiencing my sex life. And just understanding that she is always going to be her own human being. Yes. And I feel closer and connected with her when I just, when I listen mm -hmm. and receive the gift of just the conversation that we have as adults now. That's really beautiful. That's yeah. Really she's beautiful. a big inspiration. So yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I got off a little top. I got off topic a little bit there. Um, okay. You mentioned the word, you mentioned the word kinks a little bit. Uh -huh. Let's dig into that topic. Uh, quickly define it for me, please. And then expand on, maybe people are curious about understanding what BDSM is or mm -hmm. uh, other things that you've mentioned so far. Sure. Yeah. So, so a kink is um, a really shorthand way of saying anything that kind of goes against the norm or the mainstream way of, of being sexual. I don't even like to use the word norm because it suggests that there's something that we should aspire to. But when I'm using that term, I'll just say sort of the, the data that's collected around the way most people have been taught to be sexual. I won't even say the way they are sexual because there's tremendous diversity, but you know, many people were taught exactly like you just described. You wait until marriage, you find someone you love, you have this very um, beautiful, emotionally connected, monogamous, missionary position kind of sex and that should be all you want and all you need in your life and and that's like the coup de gras and listen for some people that is and it's amazing and good for them and i want that for you and for a lot of other people there are so many other ways to increase and um experience sexual pleasure that deviate from that and I don't even want to use the word deviate because it suggests that it's not okay, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's just so many different branches on the tree of what is considered healthy sex. And 
when we look at things like kink, we are exposed to lots of other ideas and how to create and, and experience pleasure. So that can be things like BDSM, which stands for, um, you know, uh, bondage and sadomasochistic behavior. Oh, it's a Friday. My brain just short-circuited on sure. me there. <laughs> the D would stand for dominance as well? Yeah, it can, it can also stand for dominance and submission. So there's mm -hmm. two different definitions. Okay. Yeah. And BDSM gives us the opportunity to play with things like power dynamics and control, which can feel really, really regulating and erotically charged for people who maybe feel lopsided in their power dynamics or the amount of control that they have or don't have in their real lives. I can't tell you how many um, very powerful male CEOs I've worked with who have kinks around being humiliated and being submissive. And so it makes perfect sense to me, right? They go out into their lives and they run a company or they're really powerful. They want someone to take care of them. They want a different experience that they don't feel safe or access is accessible to them in real life. So sex becomes the playground for that. And it's great. It's how they establish balance, right? Same with a lot of women that I work with who love to experiment with becoming dominatrices or stepping into that really powerful space. And in their lives, they might feel really disempowered or they might have a history of feeling disempowered. So it gives them a landscape to step into something that is controlled and contained and mutually consenting. And mm. that's, I think, the biggest thing with kink is that these agreements are discussed ahead of time. They are made explicit and transparent. People are agreeing and negotiating and agreeing to what works for them and what doesn't. You can always stop. And so people who identify as kinksters are really, you know, sometimes some of the most well-adjusted folks who have worked on their communication skills. They know what they need and what they want. And they're, they're really expressive in that and agreeable with each other in terms of how to come to these decisions about what scene they'll play out. So even for people who don't dive into things like, you know, really intense pain exchange or anything like that, creating these kinds of agreements with a partner can give you a lot of tools on how to communicate non-sexually with partners. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that it sounds like it takes a lot of communication between partners to establish boundaries and limits like you referred to earlier mm -hmm. and the sexual dimension of their relationship that can expand out into other areas of their lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so often, for sorry, so often for kink uh, or within the context of kink, we're really talking about people creating more intimacy, right? Because sometimes it involves penetration, but often it doesn't. And the sexual play or the arousal is to these other emotionally intimate parts of the dynamic between partners. Hmm. Yeah, let, let's just say that um, people are discussing that, they're wanting to explore that in their partnership, and one person is on board and the other one is not. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we handle that conversation? Yeah, really respectfully. Um, it's so important when people are in different places in their sexual exploration or have different limits that we respect and honor where each person is without judgment or without shaming them and kind of get to the bottom from a place of curiosity about what those fears might be about. If some of the consequences or imagined consequences um, could be abated, would they be open to these things? And, and 
not that anyone needs to be pushed or forced into any dynamic. They don't and shouldn't be pushed. But for a lot of folks, when they start to recognize that liking something or being open to something actually isn't um, a condemnation of who they are and it doesn't denigrate their personal worth, then sometimes they're really into it and they recognize a part of themselves that they are really excited to have found. Um, so they can talk with each other. There are really great yes, no, maybe lists out there. There's one on my website if people want to download it. That gives them the ability to kind of go through different sexual experiences and give an emphatic yes or say, maybe in these circumstances or no, I know this is the thing that I'm not into. You could talk about it with your partner and use that as a starting point. And of course, where there are big discrepancies in interest or desire, um, working with a sex therapist can help couples find some solutions where, you know, they may feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so very much for that. And if, if somebody is in a partnership and they're, they're kind of questioning of like, well, when do I, when do I bring this up with my partner? What is a good time to do a check-in with that yes, no, maybe list? Probably not during sex. <laughs> right? Give me a yes, no, or maybe when I do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, yes. Check in with your partner about whether or not they like what's happening all the time. I mean, consent is to be enthusiastic and continuous, right? So definitely check in about whether or not something's working or not, but I wouldn't necessarily be um, introducing big discussions or things that could carry a lot of emotional charge during sex. It's usually a good idea to think about carving out some time to talk together when you're both well-rested. Um, maybe you're checking in about other stuff in your relationship too, but you can really just you know keep some time and space for regular check-ins about how things are going in your sex life. And when you make that a regular part of your relationship, then it's not so scary to do it once or twice here and there, right? It mm -hmm. When you debrief, it just becomes a part of like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a thing that we do. And I like that. Or, oh, you know what? Last time you could have done this a little bit longer. I really appreciate uh, the way you did that. Or this next time, try this way. I mean, it just kind of takes the the scary out of it when we make it something that is a really welcome and appreciated feedback loop. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, as we close out our conversation today, what, what's one thing that we didn't quite get to or that we touched on that you want to expand on that would be of huge value to the people listening? Mm. Well, there's so many different ways to answer that question. <laughs> um, I guess if there's anything that I would like to, to offer people listening is that it's, it's really important to uncouple your sense of personal value in this world with your relationship to sex. You know, I hear language that's, that goes around all the time and especially on social media about high value women, high value men, low value women, low value men. And this is just a really, um, it's really like damaging to everybody to have this overcoupling of sexual sexual wants and needs and preferences with personal worth. So, you know, think about taking sex out of that equation and looking instead at things like how do you honor agreements? How do you honor people's boundaries? How do you show up and remain reliable and in your own integrity? And when you can do those things, that's a 
maybe an important place to look at your worthiness as a human. Um, your body count doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all, um, regardless of your gender. Um, you know, you, the kinds of things that you're turned on by doesn't matter, right? How you respect other people's boundaries around that matters. Mm. And so those are the kinds of things that, that I would say are really important because when we can stop seeing sex as a form of social currency, then we can start feeling more relational, more confident, more permitted to have relationships that are meaningful instead of relationships that are driven by a fear of our worth or social currency dropping or, or rising. Mm. Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so very much for sharing that. And if, if your message resonates with people, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you. Um, my website, modernintimacy.com is probably the best place to start, especially if you're looking to work with a clinician um, or if you'd like to access any of our, I think we've got about 150 blogs right now about all of the stuff that we've been talking about today and more. And then on social media, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we originally got connected on TikTok. I appreciate what mm -hmm. you share over there. And, and what has the TikTok experience been like for you as a, as a, as a doctor of clinical psychology? Rewarding and challenging. Um, you know, every social media platform has its own sort of temperature and energy and TikTok is, um, TikTok is a place of tremendous curiosity and education and sharing and connection, like how you and I got connected. Um, but it's also a place where people feel very emboldened to um, really uneducated opinions and to a lot of shaming and trolling. So I go in fits and bursts <laughs> and uh, sometimes I'm on it regularly and sometimes I take a break. Mm, yeah, a break sounds nice every once in a while, especially <laughs> if, especially if any one of those things becomes overwhelming to our, mm. to our mental health and our emotional health. And um, for me, it feels like a really safe place to share. And if I feel a troll or judged at all, I'll just move on from it and mm. um, understand that it is what I create it to be and mm -hmm. for my own self. And I I agree with you 100% that an uneducated opinion can really catch fire. It really can. Yeah, it really can. And, and I think a lot of people mistake opinion for fact, and that's where it gets really dangerous. But I'm so glad that your experience has been pretty, um, pretty positive for you. Yeah, likewise. And otherwise, uh, I wouldn't have been connected with a person <laughs> like yourself. And thank you so yeah. very much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's been so nice to finally meet you face to face and, and have a chat. So thank you. Yeah, again, thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you got a ton of value out of the content today and the topic as we discussed it with either an expert guest, myself, or a real life dater. If you're looking for a little bit more support in your romantic life, career, personal life, and navigating modern dating, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram at DaveGlazer underscore CSCS to ask me any question that comes up for you. 
We are excited to invite you to join us for our 21 day Get Over Your Ex challenge starting soon. We're going to meet weekly as a group so that you can have the support and education you need in order to move on from that relationship no matter how long it's been. Click the link in the show notes or the bio on my Instagram account to apply for coaching today. Again, this is Dave Glazer in Denver, Colorado, wishing you health and happiness wherever you're at in the world.